This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is June 12th, 2016, and with me is my wife, Corinne. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine. Good, good. So today, um, we can just kind of jump right into it. We are going to be talking a lot about uh, a particular essay that is on LDS.org, which is the official website for the Mormon Church. And this essay is about a subject which was... um, pretty important for me when I was transitioning out of Mormonism, the idea that the historical record um, and what archaeology says and DNA evidence says do not match up what the Book of Mormon says concerning the history of ancient America. So this essay in particular talks about DNA evidence. Um, But before we get to that, there there is a video that's on the uh, website Um, when you go looking for the Gospel Topics essays, which are a little bit hard to find. Um, But when you do find them, there's a a video from the church historian where he kind of explains where the church is coming from, why they're doing these essays, and and, uh, the process uh, through which these essays become approved by the church itself. Um, So, without further ado, here is the church historian talking about the essays. His name is Stephen Snow. Those who study our history well understand the context of these matters and as far as time and place. Um, but some members of the church, many really are surprised by some of the things they learn in our history. And we want them to be able to go to a place where they can read accurate information and be able to uh, seek to understand those historical chapters in the context of time and place, and understand that those answers have been approved by the presiding brethren of the church. I think that will give many of our members uh, confidence that they can rely on these answers. We have actually retained, uh, outside the church history department, we've retained scholars, for the most part outside the church history department, uh, known uh, LDS scholars to, to do some very extensive research, and this has been groundbreaking in a way. These issues uh, have not always had academic attention. They haven't really been researched carefully. So we're, we're very pleased that these scholars would uh, agree uh, and uh, to, to do this research. They've then submitted a draft of their uh paper to a committee of uh, historians here in the church history department as well as general authorities who've reviewed their work, suggested some edits. Those edits uh, are made with the permission of the original writer and that's then submitted to the presiding quorums of the church, the 12 and the first presidency for approval and then it's published in gospel topics under lds.org. Okay, so that process, I just want to point out, we're, we're about halfway through this video. 
Um, but the process is very, very different from what true scholars in academia actually use, where they submit for peer review and have people <clears throat> have people just look at what they uh, did their research on and their methodology, and and uh, and people can poke holes at it and write their own response to it, and that's the whole peer review process. That's not what's happening here. What, what's happening here is that they submit their essay, okay, which they claim to have, you know, academic rigor to it, um, and they submit it to a committee of other uh, church historians, church-approved church historians, um, who critique it and tell them to change certain things, and then they submit that back to the original author, and the author, um, if he wants this to, get, to be published, has to okay the changes that the committee made, right? They're not going to publish something without these revisions made. Um, so it's just a very biased, not very academic method that they're using for this, I think. Especially because they're only using LDS scholars. Right. Yeah. Which starts with a tremendous bias to yeah. begin with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Much of what's written now, these arguments and these issues have been around for decades, 150 years, and it's the same material repackaged. And uh, we understandably have not spent a lot of time in the past worrying about these issues because our mission is to promote faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as the information age is now upon us, we feel with all of this information out there, we owe it, particularly to the rising generation, to provide a uh, good, reliable information uh, about these matters. That, that part seems especially sinister to me. <laughs> the idea where he basically suggests that studying these subjects um, is not faith-promoting, mm -hmm. that they were focusing on faith-promoting things, and that's why they didn't talk about these things over here, these church history issues. Mm -hmm. um, but now that the, uh, you know, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak, um, people are getting access to this information f um, from non-LDS sources, so they're not coming through that filtered, biased um, source. And it's becoming problematic for the church, especially with young people. I mean, we we've talked about this, I don't know how many times. Mm -hmm. You know, young people have a computer in their pocket that they can check um, anything that the church says at any time during any of the church meetings, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, this is becoming a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why they're changing the seminary program. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying to focus a little bit more on the doctrine. Mm -hmm. Stories, I feel, as they're interwoven together, provide a beautiful background or history of the church or tapestry, if you will, uh, that, that really is remarkable to look at. Uh, if you stand back and view that in its entirety, it's very faith-promoting and inspiring. Now, if you look at it very close, closely, you may find some threads that you'll have a question about. But if you focus just on the threads that may seem a bit different to you, you're going to miss the beauty of the, the tapestry, the beauty of the, all of these stories woven together, which is our history. Doesn't that just sound like the most weaselly way he could phrase that? Yeah. If you focus on the bad things about the church, you're going you're gonna to miss the, the forest for the trees. Like that's basically what he's saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, with that as the preface, um, let's get into one of these big essays. So this is supposed to be in response, um, the, the church's response 
to people finding out about problems of uh, anachronisms with the Book of Mormon and it claiming to be an accurate history of ancient America. Um, so this, this essay is uh, titled Book of Mormon and DNA Studies. And one of the things that should be noted about these, these essays is that there's no author listed. So even though he's talking about these church historians and these, these outside sources um, contributing to these things, there are no cited authors for these um, works, which I find either problematic or, uh, I don't know, another way of weaseling. You know. Well, because these are supposed to be just overviews of the problem as a whole, right? Because then at the bottom mm -hmm. in the footnotes they say, quote-unquote, cite probably the scholars that they're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, no, I get it. I didn't, yeah. There is no author. Right, and, and the fact that there's no author means that there's no real academic accountability. Right. You know, so if something comes to light later that challenges this. Nobody's career is on the line, mm -hmm. you know. Um, all right, so the, the essay is kind of long. We'll read the, uh, the first several paragraphs. The middle section gets a little technical, so we probably won't spend a whole lot of time on, on that. And then the uh, conclusion, we'll talk about that as well. So I'll start with the first paragraph. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints affirms that the Book of Mormon is a volume of sacred scripture com comparable to the Bible. It contains a record of God's dealings with three groups of people who migrated from the Near East or West Asia to the Americas hundreds of years before the arrival of Europeans. What are the three groups? Is it the Nephites and the Lamanites? What's the third no, one? The, uh, the Nephites and Lamanites are one group. Okay. Um, so the, the Lehites, the family of oh, okay. Lehi. Okay. You have the Jaredites. Okay. And then you have the Mulekites. Mulekites are the ones who founded Zarahemla. Okay. So, so the, the Jaredites came to America supposedly around, was it 2200 BC? And their civilization had this big rise and then fall. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, was it Korhor was the last person alive from the Jaredite army. And he stumbled upon um, the, uh, the people of Zarahemla, which were the Mulekites. They had come to America in a similar kind of fashion as the Lehites, okay, the family of Lehi. Okay. And they started their own civilization. Um, the Nephites split away from the Lamanites because the Lamanites were becoming super wicked. Okay. And they came across the people of Zarahemla who were from the people of Mulek. Um, and so that's how like all three of them kind of merged together in Zarahemla. Okay. Um, anyway. So that's what the, the Book of Mormon claims to be the history of ancient America. Okay. You want to read the next paragraph? Sure. Although the primary purpose of the Book of Mormon is more spiritual than historical, some people have wondered whether the migrations it describes are compatible with scientific studies of ancient America. The discussion has centered on the field of population genetics and developments in DNA science. Some have contended that the migrations mentioned in the Book of Mormon did not occur because the majority of DNA identified to date in modern native peoples most closely resembles that of Eastern Asian populations. Mm -hmm. And uh, that seems like it would be problematic 
but don't worry, they have an explanation. Right, but I mean, like <laughs> even the very first sentence of that, mm-hmm. the Book of Mormon is more spiritual than historical, I feel like that's problematic in and of itself, because right. these stories are being taught as being factual stories, but if it's based more right. on spirituality, why are they being taught this way? Right, it's like they're trying to take the, uh, the progressive Christian approach with regards to the historicity of the Book of Genesis. Right. Right, it's like it's, well, I mean, it, they... The earth wasn't created in exactly that sort of way. It's more allegorical. It's uh-huh. kind of, a, you know, a poetry sort right. of thing. And, uh, yeah, so they're trying to downplay the idea that this is a, a history. But you can't escape that with Mormonism. No. Like, it, it spells it out pretty darn clearly. Mm-hmm. And especially when you, look, when you get into the teachings of Joseph Smith, like, like, the first thing he did when he had the Book of Mormon published was he went to the, the Native Americans that he believed or said that he believed were Lamanites mm-hmm. and tried to teach them that this book was for them. And then mm-hmm. he tried to convert them to Mormonism. It wasn't very effective, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's what he tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing on, basic principles of population genetics suggests the need for a more careful approach to the data. Um, So here comes their weaseling. The conclusions of genetics, like those of any science, are tentative, and much work remains to be done to fully understand the origins of the native populations of the Americas. Nothing is known about the DNA of Book of Mormon peoples. And even if their genetic profile were known, there are sound scientific reasons that that it might remain undetected, For these same reasons, arguments that some defenders of the Book of Mormon make based on DNA studies are also speculative. So they're trying to say that both directions are wrong. In short, DNA studies cannot be decisively, cannot be used decisively to either affirm or reject the historical authenticity of the Book of Mormon. So they're trying to to take the the moderate approach, right? Um, But ultimately what this all comes down to is the argument um, that gets bandied about uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? So they're relying on um, people kind of adopting that mentality where just because there's no evidence for the Book of Mormon history doesn't mean that it didn't actually happen, Mm -hmm. right? But we have good reason to to think that if the Book of Mormon story was actually historical, that there would be some kind of evidence, even DNA evidence. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me in this paragraph, um, let's see, nothing is known about the DNA of Book of Mormon peoples. That, I think, is wrong. Right. If the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be, we do know something about Book of Mormon DNA. Mm-hmm. It, they claim that they come from Jerusalem exactly. from a specific yeah. period of time. Yeah, we can trace that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and they try to um, talk about how like there's different regions and, and that kind of thing where yeah. the, the different families in the story may have migrated from before they got to Jerusalem. And so the, their DNA may be mixed with other groups, but you can still make a distinction between the middle Eastern DNA of the Jerusalem area at large. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, East Asian, or or West Asian, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the counter theory that there was the land bridge 14,000 to 20,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. and that that's where the primary ancestors of the the Native Native Americans came from, Mm -hmm. you know? And you should be able to make that distinction at the very least. I mean, they're separated by, what, 3,000 miles, Mm -hmm. you know, and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, they, they don't touch that. Yeah, especially because today you can trace your DNA back to, like, neanderthals right yeah like (laughs) 
we can go all the way back to the beginning of when like humans began to exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And that that's actually something that that I thought of like wasn't it your grandpa that did his genome? Yeah. Right? He submitted it to one of those I companies. I think he just did it through Ancestry.com. So, okay. Because it didn't go that far back. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, even so, he still had, like... 1% African. Right, yeah. 1% like yeah. African. So, um, so the general history of the world, your grandpa mm -hmm. is European, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so, 100,000 years ago to 200,000 years ago, um, all of the human race, modern humans, lived in Africa, mm -hmm. okay? And then they... They went from Central Africa to Northern Africa, and then the, to the Middle East, and then they branched out. Some people went to um, Europe, which is where your grandpa's lineage would come from. And then, then another large group went uh, across Asia to, um, you know, like, um, where the land bridge would be. Uh -huh. right? and, uh, and so there was that division there. Um, and so if your grandpa can see his lineage back to Africa, which would have been you know, 100,000 years ago, or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 50,000 years ago, mm -hmm. okay? Um, like, why is it so problematic for us to find right. the Jewish ancestry yeah. of, of Native Americans yeah. if it only happened 2,000 years ago? Right. Why are they the exception? Yeah. Why is there a gap right there? Yeah, but don't worry. This essay has its excuses. <laughs> right. But I think it's important to point out, too, that they subtly undermine the scientific world throughout mm -hmm. this entire thing. And it starts with them saying the conclusions of genetics, like those of any science are tentative. Which so it's is like automatically, true. yeah, but it's, but the way they phrase it, I mean, it, it makes plants like that seed not, of doubt yeah. into the members' minds. And it's like, mm -hmm. anytime something scientific comes out, they think mm -hmm. it still could be really wrong. Right. Well, you they, know, and so exactly they, they take it with a grain of salt and they would mm -hmm. rather listen to what the prophets are saying that's because exactly, they're inspired. That's the ex that's exactly the mentality that I had when I started coming across scientific evidence that came um, against the traditional Mormon view of creation, and uh, it became very problematic for me. I mean, that's something that we've talked about before on this show. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that idea of putting things on a shelf, so to speak, mm -hmm. and just saying, oh, well, you know, eventually there will be an explanation, and eventually God will reveal it to us, and it'll all make sense in the end. We just need to... Uh, not dwell on the trees so that we can continue to see how wonderful the forest is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you want to read the next one? Yeah. So this is in this subsection is titled the ancestors of the American Indians. The evidence assembled to date suggests that the majority of native Americans carry, carry largely Asian DNA. Scientists theorize that in an era that predated Book of Mormon accounts, a relatively small group of people migrated from Northeast Asia to the Americas by way of a land bridge that connected Siberia to Alaska. These people, scientists say, spread rapidly to fill North and South America and were likely the primary ancestors of modern American Indians. Yeah. Which is something that I rejected for a really long time. Um, even though I was confronted by it several times on my mission. Wait, what did you reject? That people came across the land bridge? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, because it, it contradicted the Book of Mormon. Huh. And people would, um, like when we would street contact as a, on our mission, um, we would get into conversations with people and we'd talk about you know, the story of the Book of Mormon and how they came from Jerusalem and all this stuff, and that's mm -hmm. where the Native Americans came from. And, um, and, and I, I remember one conversation in particular 
there was a, a couple of younger guys, probably about my same age, so you know, early twenties, mm-hmm. and there was like, well, well, I learned in uh, my university classes that there was a land bridge twenty thousand years ago, and that that's where the Native Americans came from, and so we had this conversation about you know how reliable science was or whatever, and all that kind of thing, and, and it's the it's just rationalizations, it's it's the it's the fundamentalist mind trying to make sense of co- uh, conflicting evidence, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. One thing that I do want to point out, because they keep mentioning how uh, unreliable this, these conclusions are, um, if there were any shred of evidence suggesting that the Book of Mormon peoples did come from uh, Jerusalem, that the ancient Americans came from uh, Jerusalem, they would be all over that. They would be jumping on that bandwagon mm-hmm. in a like a heartbeat. Yep. You know. Even if they weren't LDS. Right. The only reason that they're taking this more moderate, sensible approach mm-hmm. is because they know that the evidence is not in their favor. Right. <laughs> you know, let's not be too hasty. Um, the Book of Mormon provides little direct information about cultural contact between the peoples it distor- describes and others who may have lived nearby. So this is something that bothered me quite a bit when I read it because I've uh, been rereading the Book of Mormon, and uh, well, not so much recently, but yeah. <laughs> but like last year, I was rereading it and, and writing notes and stuff, and uh, and nowhere do they talk about any groups of people coming into contact with the ancient Americans or Book mm-hmm. of Mormon peoples who did not also come from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's several instances where they come across people who also came from Jerusalem. The mm-hmm. implication being everybody there came from Jerusalem. Yeah, that it was <laughs> uninhabited up until that point. Right. It's like, I don't know where they're getting this idea that there could be this intermingling. Well, I think they're getting that idea because the Book of Mormon also doesn't state that it was uninhabited explicitly. So they're using the absence of Mm -hmm. that to claim that it's quite possible and quote-unquote likely Mm -hmm. that it was inhabited by other people before they came. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that because when you read the Book of Mormon as is... Nephi, when he first gets to the promised land Mm -hmm. in uh, the Americas, describes it as an uninhabited, desolate, well, not desolate, but there's nobody there, right? Right. And they're the first ones to be there, and they're starting their little civilization. Um, They get get, uh, kind of ostracized and kicked out, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. go wandering around, and then they find another group, and where's that group from? Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Right. You know, it's like, like I don't know, the idea that there's this huge... Um, population of people surrounding them that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with their storyline, and there's no real interaction described um, in the Book of Mormon at all right. between their between them and these other people. I mean, that to me is pretty good evidence that the Book of Mormon doesn't suggest that there is this huge population right. of non-Jewish right. people running yeah. around. No, I totally agree, but yeah. I'm just saying that I think that's where they're coming from. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It's just the apologist mindset trying to rationalize it. Um, at least that's, that's how I see it. Um, that's the, what this entire essay is. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, consequently, most early Latter-day Saints assumed... Wait, where are you at? It's the paragraph after oh, sorry, the one I forgot you read. started reading. Yeah. Okay, so sorry. Continuing on. <laughs> consequently, most early Latter-day Saints assumed that Near Easterners or West Asians, like Jared, Lehi, Mulek, and their companions, were the first or the largest or even the only groups that settle the Americas. 
Building upon this assumption, critics insist that the Book of Mormon does not allow for the presence of other large populations in the Americas, and that, therefore, Near Eastern DNA should be easily identifiable among modern Native groups. So I, I think we just already covered that. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing else to say. Okay. <laughs> The Book of Mormon itself, however, does not claim that the peoples it describes were either of the predominant or the exclusive inhabitants of the land they occupied. In fact, cultural and demographic clues in its text, in its text hint at the presence of other groups. At the April 1929 General Conference, President Anthony W. Ivins of the First Presidency cautioned, We must be careful in the conclusions that we reach. The Book of Mormon does not tell us that there was no one here before them. Uh, it does not tell us that people did not come after. So that's more of the same. Yeah, it's just more of the same. But the idea that people did not come after isn't really the issue. It's it's who might have been right, there before. Been there before. Mm -hmm. um, and and I don't know what these cultural and demo demographic clues within the text are actually are. You know, but they're talking about. I'm looking hinting. at the footnote right now. Oh yeah. What is the reference? Um, so it says, John L. Sorensen, when Lehi's party arrived in the land, did they find others there? Which is in the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies 1, number 1. Uh, these arguments were summarized more recently in John L. Sorensen, Mormon's Codex, an ancient American book. Sorensen suggests that indicators in books' text makes it inescapable. That was hard to read. <laughs> Uh, text makes it inescapable that there were substantial populations in the promised land throughout the period of the Nephite record and probably in the Jaredite era also. Okay, so that's not particularly helpful. Well, and it just says in books text, so it doesn't even like specifically say Book of Mormon text. Books. So it would be in the books text. So it's just a typo? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So again, that's not in the Book of Mormon. That's in an essay mm -hmm. that someone else wrote. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I need to find my spot again. Um, I'll just keep reading. Joseph Smith appears to have been open to the idea of migrations other than those described in the Book of Mormon. And many Latter-day Saint leaders and scholars over the past century have found the Book of Mormon account to be fully consistent with the presence of other established populations. Because they've had to. <laughs> I want to look at that footnote, too. Um, the 2006 update to the introduction of the Book of Mormon reflects this understanding by stating that the Book of Mormon peoples were among the ancestors of the American Indians. So that footnote yeah. comes from a farm's review. Okay. That's fun. So, so that's kind another, of telling. <laughs> just another apologetic yeah. um, source. Um, so it's interesting that they talk about the 2006 update, but they don't say what it was before the 2006 update. Right. So it says... Um, it's just a subtle change. Right. It, it's a subtle change with a lot of implications. Yeah. So it used to say that the Book of Mormon peoples were the primary ancestors of the American Indians, and now they changed it to the Book of Mormon peoples were among the ancestors of American Indians. Uh -huh. um, and that's in 2006. Yeah. Okay, that's how recent this is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's no wonder, you know, it, it, 
I don't know, it makes it super disingenuous for this church historian guy to say that, you know, people who are carefully reading this stuff and studying have no problem with all of these issues. But people who, uh, you know, some people who aren't as learned as we are have problems with it um, because these are recent at, uh, um, changes in what you guys are actually teaching people. You know, it's like I grew up learning that they were the primary ancestors and that had a lot of implications. And now you're saying that that isn't actually the case, that maybe it's just a small isolated group and it's really hard to find this particular needle in this haystack, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, it's a way of them kind of minimizing the, the negative reaction that people are having to church history issues right now. Um, and I find that dishonest. Want to read the next paragraph? We're on nothing is known, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Nothing is known about the extent of intermarriage and genetic mixing between Book of Mormon peoples or their descendants and other inhabitants of the Americas, though some mixing appears evident, even during the period covered by the book's text. What seems clear is that the DNA of Book of Mormon peoples likely represented only a fraction of all DNA in ancient America. Finding and clearly identifying their DNA today may be asking more of the science of population genetics than it is capable of providing. Again, undermining the scientific process. Right. And and just basically continuing to change the story, the narrative, you know. Right. And what I don't, like, this whole idea of them only being a fraction mm -hmm. of all DNA in ancient America just seems slightly preposterous to me, considering the numbers of Book of Mormon peoples that supposedly existed. Right. Because, like, in the some of the final battles, like, millions of people die. That's mm -hmm. not a fraction. Like, if that was a yeah. small fraction of a greater population, like, there would have been millions upon millions, like, possibly right. billions of ancient Americas in this small space of time, mm -hmm. which is, it, it's not possible. Right, <laughs> for them to just go completely unnoticed. Yeah. In, yeah, the historical re record. Yeah, and to have absolutely nothing, like significant to do with anybody else anybody else yeah yeah i, I absolutely agree um so the, the this uh, next section is the part that gets a little bit technical yeah. we talk about all the different chromosomes and the different types of chromosomes and um do you understand these three things well enough to just kind of give a brief overview um let's see so so they're talking about the way that... Basically, what they're talking about is natural selection. Um, they just don't actually call it that. They're looking at the, the genetic evidence that suggests that natural selection occurs. Um, and uh, Which I, I find more ironic than relevant, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Which is probably why they don't name it natural selection. Right. So they talk about the different uh, haplogroups and um, how most of the... Uh, Native Americans fall within particular groups, and those are different from the groups of uh, what the Book of Mormon peoples should be. They talk about, um, let's see, they give, they give an example down at the bottom. Well, I was mostly talking about, like, so they have their three reasons, like the founder effect, genetic drift. Okay, yeah. And, like, can you explain those ones? Especially the founder effect. That one's new to me. I don't really understand that one. Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of do, but not well enough to explain it. Hold on. All right, so basically the founder effect is that um, it is possible for a small part of your DNA to kind of overtake a population. So, like, 
if you have a little bit of, let's say, African DNA, then your ancestors will also carry that, and it can take a little bit more of a uh, prominent effect or kind of take over the DNA a little bit. It's kind of what they're suggesting. Um, at least that's how I understand it. Okay, so here's the part where they kind of explain it. It says, it is possible that each member of the emigrating parties described in the Book of Mormon had DNA typical of the Near East, which would be where Jerusalem is. But it is likewise possible that some of them carried DNA more typical of other regions. In this case, their descendants might inherit a genetic profile that would be unexpected given their family's place of origin. This phenomenon is called the founder effect. And then they talk about a guy who um, ostensibly has uh, Italian lineage, but uh, it turns out that part of his DNA profile um, shows that he uh, has some ancestry in Asia. And depending on how things shake out with his ancestors, um, or with his, uh, his children, grandchildren and all that, it may show that his Asian DNA um, becomes more prominent than his Italian DNA. Okay. But it, but it doesn't suggest that the other DNA completely disappears, right. which is what they're relying on right. for the Book of Mormon story. Um, well, I think what they're relying on in this one is that we don't know what the DNA of these people are. But we kind of do. Yeah, but that's what they're saying. <laughs> like yeah. their very last sentence is, in mm -hmm. the case of the Book of Mormon, clear information of that kind is unavailable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the other two, yeah. They're counting on it just disappearing. But and, and here's the other thing is these these may be um, these may be ways that um, certain genes may be um, kind of expunged from a particular population. Um, but how much time does it take for it to actually take place? Right. Because the Nephites died out in uh, f around 400 A.D. Okay, and then the uh, the, the Spaniards came and found them. Um, just a couple centuries after that, what was it 1400, right? 1492, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then, uh, and then from there, wait, they, they were wiped out when 400, 480. Okay. So they would have had a substantial amount of time to repopulate. Yeah. The if remaining they hadn't groups, been completely yeah. wiped out. Yeah. Because it's implied that the, the uh, small group of the Nephites who actually didn't die off, um, were in integrated into the Lamanite population, who also came from Jerusalem. Okay, um, and then a thousand years passes, and then the uh, the Europeans come and kind of take over everything and start intermingling with them. But not every group of Native Americans um, has had kids with the uh, the Europeans that came. You know, and is a thousand years enough time, enough generations to completely wipe out an entire section of DNA? You know, it's not something that they talk about. You know, how much time does it really take for these things to take effect? Um, so the other things that they talk about are uh, bottlenecks and genetic drift. So the bottleneck one is, is pretty easy to understand. Um, it's where you have like a big population and then some catastrophe happens um, that kills a large part of the population. And then only a small amount of the DNA is allowed to continue on. Mm -hmm. So the gene pool basically shrinks and then expands. Mm -hmm. um, and that can affect the way that DNA um, comes through. But in order for that to be relevant to this conversation, it has to suggest that all of the DNA from the, uh, the Jewish ancestry got wiped out. Mm -hmm. In which case, these are not Lamanites and Nephites. 
like the Book of Mormon says that the Native Americans are, you know, which is why the the Book of Mormon was preserved and mm-hmm. and was supposed to be a record for them. It says it multiple times, <laughs> right, in the mm-hmm. book. You know, if their genetic code, their genetic profile is completely wiped out, then this isn't for them. The Book of Mormon is not for them. Interesting. You know? I didn't put that together. But yeah. You know, like, huh. what's the point? Right. Well, it's for us. It's for the Mormons. It's, you know, Latter-day Saints. But the Book of Mormon says explicitly that this is for the ancestors of Lehi, Nephi, and Laman. Yeah. You know, and in particular, Laman, because, you know, the Nephites right. basically get wiped out. Right. But if all of the Lamanite DNA is gone, they're not exactly Lamanites, are they? Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the uh, other one, genetic drift, they give an example that kind of explains it. Um, this one actually Their seems... Their example is weird. The, the example sounds very similar to the first one. Um, what was it? The founder effect? Mm-hmm. So basically, well, I'll just read the paragraph. Um, fill a jar with 20 marbles, red and t- 10 red, 10 blue. The jar represents a population. The marbles represent people with different genetic profiles. Draw a marble at random from this population, record its color, and place it back in the jar. Draw... Each draw represents the birth of a child. Draw 20 times to simulate a new generation within the population. The second generation could have an equal number of each color, but more likely will have an uneven number of the two colors. Before you draw a third generation, adjust the proportion of each color in the jar to reflect the new mix of genetic profiles in the gene pool. As you continue drawing, the now uneven mix will lead to ever more frequent draws of the dominant color, um, over several generations, this drift toward one color will almost certainly result in the disappearance of the other color. But again, they don't talk about how many generations it takes to wipe out um, a particular genetic profile. Right. Is that something that is known? But yeah, these are, I mean, they're taking real um, phenomena that, yeah. that happen. They don't talk about the timeline. Right. But you can find, like, the timeline somewhere else? Like that this um, would supposedly the, have to happen? The in? way that you would track this sort of thing is that you would have to find remains of other people. So, like, But it has been a, done with other things before. Well, sure. It's, it's like looking at the fossil record and seeing what, um, what species led to the current species. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we know that we have common ancestors with other primates, you know. Okay. Because, because of the fossil record, you know, mm-hmm. and you do, can do the same thing by looking at the remains of other Native, Native Americans at different time periods, and you can compare the, the DNA and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if, if anybody's taken the time to do that, but that is a way that you could do it. Um, and uh, and that, that's an interesting point that I didn't think about. Um, we do have remains from those people. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Joseph Smith found remains and claimed that they were Nephites. You know, Zelf. <laughs> Zelf, yeah. 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 It's, you know, so it's, it's not like we don't have um, remains of people from that time period. Right. Um, like, we can track their DNA if we really, really wanted to. Um, makes you wonder why the church hasn't done that. Yeah. Or maybe it's no wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's more accurate. <laughs> That's why they're trying to discredit the scientific uh, community with stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure they have. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it kind of reminds me of stuff from, like, um, 
like Ken Ham and Kent Hovind, like these evangelical Christians who are young earth creationists. Um, and they, they look for ways to poke holes at the theory of evolution and, uh, you know, things like the fossil record, DNA record, uh, carbon 14 dating, um, you know, those sorts of things. Mm. And the idea being that if they can poke enough holes in it, then that will lend credence to what they're saying about the book of Genesis being literally true. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like the, the, the Mormon church is trying to do the same kind of thing with anthropology and, and DNA by suggesting that there's these holes, it's unreliable, there's, there's problems, you can't totally depend on it, therefore you should still continue to believe what we're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, draw, they're creating a false dichotomy mm -hmm. um, and hoping that people don't notice. Mm -hmm. And a lot, a lot of people don't, especially the, the TBMs out there, mm -hmm. the true-believing Mormons, the people that are giving them money. Um, anything else in this middle section that you want to talk about? No. I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I explained things very well, but... Um, so the conclusion, down at the bottom, such as, much as... Oh my gosh. Much as critics and defenders of the Book of Mormon would like to use DNA studies to support their views, the evidence is simply inconclusive. Nothing is known about the DNA of Book of Mormon peoples, even if such information were known, processes such as population bottleneck, genetic drift, and post-Columbian immigration from West uh, Eurasia make it unlikely that their DNA could be detected today. As Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles obser observed, it is our position that secular evidence can neither prove nor disprove the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Want to read the last paragraph? And isn't the problem with that that the burden of proof ne isn't necessarily on the scientific community? Like, mm -hmm. if they're claiming that this was a real thing, they should be able to prove it, right? Right. Right. Okay. The burden of proof is on them to prove that the Book of Mormon is accurate and true. Right. So it doesn't matter if the secular evidence mm -hmm. can prove or disprove it. Yeah, that, that's a it's good point. They're, their, sh they're shirking their responsibility yeah, to prove it's it. it's their responsibility to prove it, and mm -hmm. they can't either. Yeah, which is why they're saying, oh, you know, the, the secular... Uh, evidence doesn't really matter, you know. Right. <laughs> okay. Book of Mormon record keepers were primary, primarily concerned with conveying religious truths and preserving the spiritual heritage of their people. They prayed that, in spite of the prophesied destruction of most of their people, their record would be preserved and one day help restore a knowledge of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their promise to all who study the book with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, is that God will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. For countless individuals who have applied this test of the book's authenticity, the Book of Mormon stands as a volume of sacred scripture with the power to bring them closer to Jesus Christ. So I have a couple of things to say about that. Okay. One, they're trying to trump up um, spiritual evidence as mm -hmm. being more reliable than secular evidence. Mm -hmm. Which, but it's only reliable if you get an affirmative answer. Right, which is the second thing that I wanted to talk about. They say countless individuals have applied this test and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, they've, and they've come to the conclusion that the Mormon church is true. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about the countless individuals who have read the Book of Mormon right. and not had that experience? Right. I mean, presumably, there's far, far more people who have read the Book of Mormon. Maybe not extensively, but mm -hmm. read it. Um, and not come to the conclusion that it's true or historically accurate mm -hmm. or beneficial in any spiritual sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, that was my experience. Yeah. I tried really hard to have it be true. Yeah. 
I, I tried praying about it and doing this whole Moroni's promise thing that they're talking about here at the end where you ask God if mm -hmm. it's true and and all that kind of thing. I did that for years. Mm -hmm. Never got anything that, nothing happened to me that I couldn't explain through some sort of natural means. Right. You know, emotion, uh, cognitive uh, dissonance or, or uh, confirmation bias, you know, th these sorts of things. Um, you know, sort of inducing that kind of euphoric... Um, phenomenon within myself mm -hmm. you know and and deep down knowing that that's exactly what i was trying to do just so that i could come up with some way to justify saying that i believed these things mm -hmm. you know so i wouldn't feel like such a hypocrite mm -hmm. but it didn't work mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how about you about what the whole praying about it thing i did it a couple times and then stopped doing it because mm -hmm. i wasn't getting an answer yeah. That I thought I should be getting. So I just pretended. Yeah. Which is, I think, what a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I only finished the Book of Mormon like three times and prayed about it twice, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then decided that since everyone else around me seemed to have been, had right. that confirming experience, then something was wrong with me. Yeah. And that I would just pretend I did. That's interesting that you mentioned that because... Uh, there's a recent episode of Infants on Thrones where they interview a guy named Larry mm -hmm. um, who was a, a hardcore believing Mormon for a number of years. And mm -hmm. now that he's in his 60s, he's retired, he's come to the conclusion that the church isn't true. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he never really had a, a, a confirming spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. He was just kind of going through the motions. And, and every once in a while, he would look around his congregation and think, like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I the only one who cannot stand up and truthfully say i know that the church is true mm -hmm. everybody else around me can say it mm -hmm. why am i different what's wrong with me mm -hmm. and that's kind of the way that that group think um you know ensnares people mm -hmm. it makes them think that the problem is them and they just kind of go along in hopes that someday it'll it'll happen for them mm -hmm. um and that's how you get people to just go blindly um without questioning at least not openly mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was guilty of that in particular at BYU. And I would look around and think the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Why am I the only one? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anything else to say about the essay before we move on? No. Okay, so... Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, since we're talking about this essay, is mormonthink.com. So Mormon Think is a, a great resource. I believe that we've mentioned them before. Um, they uh, they try to have an impartial um, view on Mormon church issues. Um, they tend to, to, to lean a little bit more against, at least recently anyway. Um, but they started out very much as believing Mormons. Um, and a number of the, uh, the founding members of the website have been kicked out of the church. Um, some of them have resigned willingly, but uh, a number of them have been excommunicated or disfellowshipped and all that kind of stuff. But they actually have a, a section on their website where they talk about these church essays, um, of which there are several now. And uh, I, I just thought that uh, we could read their section where they talk about the essay that we just read, because they gave a pretty good response to it. Mm -hmm. Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, I just got it. Okay. So this is on their website. It's called Book of Mormon and DNA Studies response to lds.org um, an essay on book of mormon and dna studies was added 
on uh, J January 31st, 2014, in the topical guide of the LDS.org website. The essay asserts that DNA studies cannot be used decisively to either affirm or reject the historical authenticity of the Book of Mormon. The essay is found here, blah, blah, blah. Um, the essay contends that there, are, that there were other inhabitants in the Americas before the Book of Mormon people arrived. The essay does not address many statements from the church and scriptures that contradict this. Uh, many general authorities have written about how no one was in the Americas before the Book of Mormon people. Here, here are remarks from Apostles Jeffrey R. Holland... This is a, a snippet from an article called A Promised Land. It was published in The Enzyme, which is a, a Mormon publication, in 1976. Quote, Holy Scripture records that after the waters had receded from off the face of this land, um, I assume he's talking about the flood, it became a choice land above all other lands, a chosen land of the Lord. Whether the Lord... Wherefore. Wherefore the Lord... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> would have that all men should serve him who dwell upon the face thereof. Such a special place needed now to be kept apart from other regions, free from the indiscriminate traveler, as well as the soldier of fortune. To guarantee such sanctity, the very surface of the earth was rent. Um, so he's talking about how... <laughs> is that why there exists an ocean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and this, is, this is a fundamentalist, young earth creationist view that during the flood, the continents divided. So this is when Pangaea became no yes. longer Pangaea. Yes. Interesting. Yes. That's what he's talking about. Okay. okay. And this so is the floods receded, Pangaea still existed. Mm -hmm. God decided that this part of the land needed to be holy. Mm -hmm. And so he just yep. split everything. Yeah, oh, that's how that's how they explain how the Garden of Eden is in Missouri, right. but every everything in the Bible seems to have happened in Jerusalem and the surrounding mm -hmm. area, Mesopotamia, mm -hmm. um, because during the flood everything got split. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is Jeffrey Holland. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's still alive. He's still a prominent figure mm -hmm. in in Mormon church leadership. Mm -hmm. um, Continuing on, in response to God's decree, the great continents separated the, and the ocean rushed in to surround them. The promised place was set apart. This part's in bold. Without habitation, it waited for the fulfillment of God's special purposes. Um, with care and selectivity, the, the Lord began almost at once to repeople the promised land. This part's also in bold. The Jaredites came first with stories of the great flood fresh in their memories. And the Lord's solemn declaration ringing in their ears, Whoso should possess this land of promise from that time henceforth and forever should serve him the true and only God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. Okay, so that's one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you want to read the next one? Okay. Um, then, and this scripture from the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 1.8, quote, And behold, it is wisdom that this land should be kept as yet from the knowledge of other nations. For behold, many nations would overrun the land, that there would be no place for an inheritance. See? So they do actually say that. Yeah. It's implied that there was nobody there. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Nor does it mention how these people, these other people survived the global flood from the time of Noah, which the church teaches as a literal event. Good point. Right? 
That would so, have taken ages. Mm-hmm. So, so assuming that there was this land bridge and that people from East Asia came across it and populated the Americas before uh, Lehi and his family got there, okay, um, somewhere between that time and when Lehi gets there, there is a global flood. Oh, that happened in between. Yeah. It would have happened before the Jaredites got there. Well, then there wouldn't have been a land bridge. The land bridge is supposed to have happened 14,000 to 20,000 years ago. So so in the article, they kind of mention that that is the predominant scientific theory. And they suggest that it might be a a possible source for some of the people. They don't talk about the the time frame. But if that's the case... They would have had to have come before the flood. So how did they survive the flood? Right, but if they came before the flood, then there wouldn't have been a land bridge. Everything would have already been connected. Do you see what what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. So it would have had to have happened after the flood. Which, of course, there's no evidence for. That's an interesting point. And it still would have Mm -hmm. taken a great deal of time to populate enough for that many people to migrate. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, there's just holes all over yeah. the story if you're trying to, to make it fit with uh, real actual evidence. Yeah. Um, let's see. So there's one more section. I'll just read it real quick. So this is the DNA response at the bottom. A former bishop and DNA geneticist, Simon Sutherland, is very familiar with this topic and has been writing about it for years. We list his knowledgeable response. Um, the, the thing is called Response from Simon Sutherland. Also, this excellent podcast. Okay, so these are just yeah, more references for ways to, yeah, to do more research. Uh, one of the things that um, was in the essay that we didn't talk about, it was in, that, is in the middle of all of that technical stuff that we kind of glossed over, was they mentioned that there was a, a, uh, a published article that suggests that a large portion of Native American DNA comes from the Middle East. Uh, as much as a third of the the DNA. Um, And this was something that became very um, popular among certain groups of Mormons. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we did an article um, on on an episode of, of, I don't know, a few months ago, we talked about this guy who uh, was talking about all the things that ex-Mormons don't want you to know and Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. I forget his name. Um, he has a, a blog, and we, and we talked about it. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I completely forgot, because, as it turns out, he took it out of the article mm-hmm. uh, before we talked about it, so I forgot that it was in there. Uh, but he talks about this article mm-hmm. and how as much as a third of the DNA comes from the Middle East for Native Americans. And the thing that they that they failed to mention in the DNA essay on LDS.org and in this other guy's blog post is that this is based on a bone that was found to be something like 24,000 years old. Which, if that's the case, it doesn't match the timeline of the Book of Mormon at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Book of Mormon says that the Jewish DNA came into the Americas um, no earlier than 2200 BC with the Jaredites. Those people got wiped out. Nephites and Lamanites came in. Nephites got wiped out. The Lamanites stuck around. That's where the uh, the source of Jewish DNA, DNA uh, would come from for mm-hmm. the Native Americans, um, not from a bone of a person twenty four thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, so and 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 that's I don't know. It it bothers me when they do stuff like that because they present 
the these articles in a way that seems like it's promoting what they're talking about. It's it's supporting the idea that the Book of Mormon story is true, right? That that there's Jewish DNA in the in the Native American record, but they leave out the important part that that, that makes it very very clear that it doesn't match the story, that it couldn't possibly um, be the real source, you know, if the Book of Mormon is true. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You know, despite the lack of DNA evidence, I still think the most, (laughs) just that there is no archaeological evidence. Like, I think that in and of itself is more than enough to prove that that none of this really happened. Because that should be easily accessible. Mm -hmm. Because we supposedly know exactly where all of this happened. That's the other thing that I wanted to talk about with this. Um... So they on the essays, they talk about lots of different historical issues. This DNA issue is pretty much the only thing that they talk about with relation to problems of the Book of Mormon, um, mm-hmm. aside from the translation essay. Right. But as far as the historicity of the Book of Mormon as a, a true historical record, this essay is pretty much all that they have. Mm-hmm. They don't even talk about archaeology or, or any of the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the, when they do that, it makes it sound like the DNA thing is the only issue, right. you know, which is disingenuous, right? Because it's, it's not the most the, recent issue, I think. Yeah, it's not the only issue. No, um, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about. So, in the CES letter, mm-hmm. which is something that we've talked about a few times, Jeremy Runnels, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Jeremy Runnels, <laughs> <laughs> um, he has a section where he talks about. Anachronisms and archaeology and that kind of stuff. So, so here are a few of the other um, things that are problematic for the Book of Mormon if the Book of Mormon is to be taken as a true historical record. So, things that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon that aren't actually um, that don't actually coincide with what the historical record shows: um, horses, cattle, oxen, sheep, swine, goats, elephants, wheels, chariots, wheat. Silk, steel, and iron. Okay. Those are all things that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon as as existing as part of the Nephite Lamanite civilization that spanned at least um, 800 years. Mm -hmm. And there's no evidence of any of those things. Okay. And the big ones are, of course, steel and iron, because Mm -hmm. those are things that will... Would last. That will last for a a fairly long time. You know. Yeah. Um... And uh, here's uh, the section on archaeology. There is absolutely no archaeological evidence to directly support the Book of Mormon or the Nephites slash Lamanites who numbered in the millions. <laughs> okay, um, And not just the Nephites and Lamanites, the Jaredites also numbered in the millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the reasons why unofficial apologists are coming up with the limited geography model. It happened in Central or South America. It's more or less the synopsis. And that the real Hill Cumorah is not in Palmyra, New York, but is elsewhere and possibly somewhere down there instead. So, what that's saying Which is begs the question: How did Joseph get the book, of the, the gold right, plates? <laughs> right, because Joseph acted very much like um, Palmyra, um, the Hill Cumorah, is is where the last great battle took the place. The last right? great battle took place yeah. um, for both civilizations, mm-hmm. both the Jaredites and the Nephites mm-hmm. and Lamanites. So there should be mounds of bones. And steel swords. And steel swords. And, and chariots and wheels and mm-hmm. horse horses. remains. Uh-huh. 
should be all over that hill. All over the place. And it's and the church owns that hill, and they do not allow anyone to do any sort of archaeological digging mm-hmm. at all. Out of respect. Out of respect. Of course, for the holiness of that hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take it on faith. Right. Um, but you could dig around the hill and still not find anything. Right, because it shouldn't just be on Because millions of people would not fit on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a very big hill. This is in direct contradiction to what Joseph Smith and other prophets have taught. Never mind that the church has a visitor center there in New York and holds an annual Hillcomora pageant. Uh, we read about two major war battles that took place at the Hillcomora. Rama to the Jaredites. That's what they called the Hillcomora, Rama. Oh. Um, that numbered in deaths of at least two million people. At least. That, that was just one battle. Mm-hmm. That's, it was like the battle before the final battle. They gave the number of two million people that died mm-hmm. in that second to last battle for mm-hmm. the Jaredites. No bones, hair, chariots, swords, armor, or any other evidence found whatsoever. Compare this to the Roman occupation of Britain and other countries. There are abundant evidences of their presence during the first 400 years A.D., such as villas, mosaic floors, public baths, armor, weapons, writings, art, pottery, and so on. And they are still finding new stuff from them, but they Mm -hmm. can't find anything, anything supporting the Book of Mormon. That's actually kind of a a running gag on the Ex-Mormon Reddit, Reddit, um, where they post things that were found... um, in other areas, mm-hmm. and then they say, still no, no evidence of the Book of Mormon people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find funny. <laughs> it is funny, because it's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, even the major road systems used today in some of these occupied countries were built by the Romans, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Additionally, there is ample evidence of the Mayan and Aztec civilizations, as well as a civilization in current-day Texas that dates back 15,000 years. Where are the Nephite or Lamanite buildings, roads, armors, swords, pottery, art, etc.? Yeah, and the temples that they spent so much time building. Mm-hmm. Like these yeah. things would still exist regardless of the destruction to the yeah. people. Well, if you if you go to, I mean, this is Utah County, and there's a number of places along State Street where you can actually go on a Book of Mormon tour, and they will take you to the Americas down in Central and South America, and they will take you to these Aztec temples, Mayan temples, and they will say, these are the temples of the Nephites. Right. That's what they'll tell you. Yeah. But it's absolutely false. Right, that Book of Mormon <laughs> cruise tour. Yeah, yeah. That would, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of them. Um, let's see. Latter-day Saint um, Thomas Stuart Ferguson was BYU's archaeology division um, founder. Oh, yeah. I think I read about this guy. Uh, let's see. So this is so the organization is called New World Archaeological Funding. The NWAF was financed by the church. NWAF and Ferguson were asked by BYU and the church in the 1950s and 60s mm-hmm. to find archaeological evidence to support the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is something that a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what Ferguson wrote after 17 years of trying to dig up evidence for the Book of Mormon. Quote, You can't set Book of Mormon archaeology down anywhere because it is fictional and will never meet the requirements of the dirt archaeology. I should say, what is in the ground will never conform to what is in the book. So that's what I wanted to talk about for anachronisms. And this is something that bothered me quite a bit when I was transitioning out. 
Um, I even wrote a blog post on it talking about the, the Jaredite battles with steel swords and all these sorts of things mm-hmm. and talking about the argument um, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence unless there should be evidence. Right, and, and in there the case, should be evidence. Exactly. And in the case of the Book of Mormon, there should be evidence. Right. And the if there were that, only like hundreds of people, you might be able to get away with that argument. Right. Mm-hmm. But not when there are supposed to be like millions of people dying in a single battle. Right. Because that implies there are a larger number of people still alive. Right. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. No. The way that they try to rationalize it this way. Right. And it's problematic for their argument against the DNA evidence. Um, when you really get into um, the apologetics of the anachronisms, you start to find um, really weird explanations. Like when it says uh, horses, what it really meant to say was tapirs. Right. You know, right. stuff like that. It didn't mean a steel sword. It meant yeah. a wooden club. I just love looking at the pictures of like... Um, you know, the Book of Mormon pictures that we right. grew up with and then seeing, instead of the horses, like a tapir. Right, like Captain, like Captain Moroni. Moroni is yeah. riding a tapir. <laughs> it just doesn't look as uh, majestic. Right. It's the nose. It's, it's the nose, yeah. mostly. It's just really funny. Yeah, but, but I don't know, it, it kind of reminds me of some of the early conversations I had with some, some of my relatives um, where I talk about where I talked with them about some of my reasoning and how I would change my view um, based on new evidence and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I would say, and the only reason that I was making these changes in my view was because I was trying to preserve a belief that I was holding for no good reason. That I, wasn't, I didn't have any evidence for. It was built on faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a form of bias. And when you look at all of the evidence without that bias informing your response, um, all of a sudden... There's no Jaredites. There's no Nephites. Um, the, all of the problems in the Book of Mormon are just because the Book of Mormon isn't true, you know. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a lot more simple to explain, you know. And I think more honest. Yeah. And why would that come with an eternal consequence of damnation? You yeah. Know, when it's in- not our fault that there isn't <laughs> any right. evidence. Yeah. <laughs> like, how could you not foresee this being a problem? Um, We've talked about Pascal's wager before, right? Right. Have you heard of the atheist wager? I don't know. It's kind of a, a snarky counter to, to Pascal's wager. Okay. So Pascal's wager is basically either there is a God or there isn't. Uh, you, it's better to hedge your bets and assume that there is a God rather than assume that there is no God and then go, end up going to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the atheist, atheist wager is um, there might be a God. If there is a God, um, he's testing your level of gullibility. He's seeing whether or not you are stupid enough to believe all of these magical fairy tales without any good reason or without any evidence. And all of the people who are smart enough to say, you know what, there's not enough reason for me to believe this, this um, religious mumbo-jumbo, those are the people that make it to heaven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Earth is a test of gullibility. Hmm. That's basically the, the counter. Which I find funny, but again, there's no reason to believe that that's true. Right. <laughs> um, Anyway, anything else? No, I think we covered enough. Cool. Well, that is our show. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast@gmail.com, And you can check out the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast. Bye-bye. See you.